Last week we talked about Noah, which is a good, it's a perfect connection to Palm Sunday. And I'll tell you why in a second. Palm Sunday is, is uh, meant to remind us that we live in a place where we will never see palm trees. Seems like it's almost winter all the time. No, that's not what Palm Sunday's about. It's actually the, a celebration of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And obviously, Jesus had been to Jerusalem a number of times before. When he was born, he went there. He was dedicated as a firstborn son, and, and he went back and visited several times. But uh, this, was, this was a special day because this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And it was his last visit before going to the cross. This was his final week before he would be crucified. And so you're probably wondering, how does Noah tie in? Well, last week we talked about how the ark was a picture of salvation. On, the, on God's judgment, the floodwaters, Noah and his family had to enter the ark and they had to go through. There was one door in the ark. They had to go through that one door just like everyone must enter salvation through Jesus who is our one doorway to salvation. And the flood of Noah's day demonstrated that God takes sin deadly serious. That He does not tolerate wickedness. And the sacrifice of Jesus shows the same thing, that God takes sin deadly serious. And, and also it shows that, that God provides salvation for anyone who's willing to trust and obey Him. Just like Noah was willing to trust and obey and his family was willing to trust and obey and get on that ark, anyone who's willing to trust and obey Jesus, God will give the gift of grace and, and salvation. And, and so the ark... And Noah and the flood was a picture of God's wrath against sin and God's salvation offered to people who trust in Him. So anybody who's willing to repent and believe can find grace in God and forgiveness for their sins. But it gets even more interesting, as if the grace of God through Jesus wasn't enough to blow your mind. If you remember, Noah was 600 years when the flood began. We're told that the, the flood, he got in the ark. They were actually on board a week before the, the flood waters actually hit, but he's 600 years old. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and the, the wells, the springs of the earth, the, the water underneath the ground, the fountains of the deep broke open and the whole world was flooded. And the water prevailed for 150 days. They were just floating aimlessly out. With no, there no, the water uh, covered the mountains. The tallest mountain was covered up to a depth of 20 feet. And they floated for 150 days, five months, and after five months, the, the ark became lodged on the Ararat Mountains. So the, underneath the water, there was, the, you know, it was starting to go down. The water was subsiding and the, and the ark finally struck bottom and it got lodged in the mountains after floating on water for five months. And I would imagine that after being stuck in a, as big as the boat was, I would imagine that after being stuck with a bunch of smelly animals and your family for five months inside a boat without... You know, they didn't have decks up top. They were just kind of stuck inside pretty much. They were probably ready to get out. But, but it was a sign that the boat hit ground and it was a sign that they could, you know, that God's word was true, that they, that the flood would end, that their trust in God's salvation was real, that their life would be preserved through God's judgment of the world. And what's interesting about this is when the Jews escaped slavery in Egypt, it was the, the same month, you know, it, it was the seventh month of the year, which is called Abib, the Jewish month, when the ark hit the ground. It says the ark hit the ground on after five months. It was the seventeenth day of Abib, which is the seven month of the year. And then the it was when the Jews escaped Egypt, it was the same month. It was Abib, 
And God told them, since you're going to, you know, basically you're starting a whole new life here, I want you to make Abib the first month of the year. No longer is it going to be seven months. You'll now think of this month as, the, as month number one because I'm taking you out of Egypt and you're going to be my people and, and we'll show you a whole new way of life. So Abib became the first month of the year. And many years later, we talked about the Babylonian captivity because they had sinned a lot and, and they were taken away and Daniel went with them. The month of Abib, you remember they changed everybody's names when they were taken from Jerusalem to um, Babylon. Daniel got a new name and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were their new names. They changed the month names too. So Abib was changed to Nisan. So it's still the first month of the year, but it's now called Nisan. So Noah's Ark, God's salvation through the flood, came to rest on the 17th day of Nisan. Well, guess what else happened on the 17th day of Nisan? Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the 17th day of Nisan. And, and so one picture of new life, which is Noah's family and the ark and all the animals getting off the ark, was linked to across thousands of years to another picture of new life. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of resurrection for us. And, and you might call that a coincidence, but if you've, ever, if you've ever really considered the number of coincidences like that in the Bible, you'll know that every jot and tittle of Scripture was put there for a reason. And that things like that don't happen by accident. Another jot and tittle put there on purpose was the account of Jonah. And if you remember, Jesus connected Himself to that event that when the law experts said, we want you to give us a sign to prove your authority of who you are. And Jesus said, I'll give you the sign of Noah, or of Jonah. And He said, in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And people disagree, the Christians even, churchgoers disagree about whether Jonah was a real person who was swallowed by a real fish and actually vomited out three days later on the beach. But Jesus specifically used Jonah as prophecy, as a, you know, as a prophetic marker of his own death and resurrection. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to, to use a make-believe story to show forth the prophecy of his death and resurrection. It, it would be like me saying that you know, the Count of Monte Cristo was held in a prison and he escaped and he found a treasure and became really rich. And just like that, I too will one day escape from a high security penitentiary and win the lottery. You know, it, it's stupid for me to give a, you know, if I was to give a prophecy, I wouldn't base it on a make-believe story. I would say, just like this event, God is going to do this you know, and that's what Jesus was doing. He's in a real life event. Jonah being swallowed by the fish in the belly three days, three nights, and then he was vomited out and went and did what he was actually supposed to do. And Jesus said, just like that, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So, which brings us to the conundrum for the day. Should we even be celebrating Palm Sunday? Now, that's an interesting question. John chapter 12 starts off like this. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom He had raised from the dead. So they prepared a dinner for Jesus. Martha was serving, and Lazarus was among those present at the table with Him. Then Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive aromatic oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped His feet dry with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfumed oil. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was going to betray him, said, 
Why wasn't this oil sold for 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor? Now Judah said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money box, he used to steal what was put into it. So Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And that's pretty interesting that Jesus is saying that what Mary is doing there at Lazarus's place is anointing him for his, his burial. And it says in verse 9, it says, Now a large crowd of Judeans learned that Jesus was there, and so they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chi- And this gets really nasty part of the plot. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus too. Not only were they planning to kill Jesus, but then they heard that Jesus brought somebody back from the dead and lots of people saw it. And so lots of more people wanted to come see the proof. They wanted to see this living man. And so people were getting excited about this Jesus Christ. And the religious leaders, instead of saying, wow, this man is doing amazing things. Maybe we should listen to him. They said, no, let's kill him and let's make sure and kill the other guy so there's no evidence that this guy has anything. I mean, it's crazy, but they were doing everything they could to hold on to their, their power not because they actually believed in, in what they were doing, but just because they didn't want to give up their power. And so, verse 11 says, For on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jewish people from Jerusalem were going away and believing in Jesus. So they just didn't want to lose their, their influence. Um, verse 12 says, The next day, so we're talking six days before the Passover, is when he went to Lazarus, to, to Bethany, where Lazarus was. The next day, so this is five days from the Passover, says the large crowd had come to the feast the large crowd that had come to the feast heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him they began to shout hosanna blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the king of israel jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written do not be afraid people of zion look your king is coming coming seated on a donkey's colt so there's another piece of prophecy that this goes back to the Old Testament where it said the Messiah is going to come and he's going to enter into the city on a donkey, on a, on a colt. It's never been ridden before. Now the, the, the problem that we have with, with Palm Sunday is that the, pop, the popular view of, of Jesus' death and resurrection comes on that, that it's a Friday when Jesus was killed. You know, we have Good Friday. We call it Good Friday even though Jesus died because we know what's coming on Sunday. And that's the, the probably most Christians you know, grew up believing that Jesus died on Friday, was buried Friday before sundown, and then was resurrected on Sunday morning. And the problem with that is that if Jesus died on Friday, then Palm Sunday would have to be a Monday. Because the Passover came the day after Jesus' death, so that would have been Saturday. You count about six days when he visited Lazarus, that would have been sunday the next day is monday so we would have to come here tomorrow to celebrate palm monday and since you guys are already here we need to fix this problem since um and and not to mention jesus specifically said just like jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights he's going to be in the earth for three days and three nights so the problem is if he dies on if he's buried friday evening then you've got the next day, Saturday evening and morning, the next day, Sunday morning, you don't have enough time. Even if you count Friday night as, as one night, you've, you're still missing half a day. So you go Friday night to Saturday night, 
to Sunday night would be three days, but he resurrected on Sunday morning. So we're missing at least half a day of time. Um, so there's a, there's a Friday problem. Now, Palm Sunday might just be Sunday for convenience. It doesn't, you know, we don't necessarily have to have Palm Sunday on a Sunday. It might just be we're here already, so why not let's celebrate it? Um, that way we, you know, uh, we can celebrate whenever we're here and not have to come back tomorrow. And, uh, uh, but another, I don't think Monday, thir- Monday, Thursday, which is the celebration of the Last Supper, or Good Friday are in the right days. I think we need to adjust our calendar a little bit since the Friday crucifixion wouldn't give enough time for the Jonah prophecy that Jesus gave to be true. And I am, there's no way I'm going to call Jesus a liar. So I think we need to adjust our calendar a little bit to fit what Jesus said in prophecy would happen. And one possibility would be have Palm Saturday on or Palm Saturday instead of Palm Sunday. So we'd have to come here yesterday, but that's too late. Um, that gives us more time, you know, that more than enough time for Jesus to be in the tomb for three days because if, if Saturday is when he that's five days before the Passover, four days later, which would be the preparation day for Passover, was when he's crucified on a Wednesday night, then he would have Thursday night, Thursday morning and night, Friday morning and night, Saturday morning and night, and then resurrect on Sunday morning. So that's almost too much time. It's more than enough time, but you have 36 hours that Jesus could actually be there if you need 36 hours. Um, the only hang-ups I have about this are the the resurrection happens on Nissan one. Rick, there's a file on the on the computer called it's an XLS that I just put there. If you want to bring that up, I can show you guys in visual pictures. But um, the resurrection happening on on Wednesday would work. That's okay. There's no problems except it wouldn't happen or the crucifixion happening on Wednesday and the resurrection on Sunday messes up with the Jewish calendar days. And I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, I don't think it makes quite as much sense if, as if we stick to Palm Sunday. If we keep Palm Sunday, um, there's a man named Sir Robert Anderson who was he was alive back in the late 1840s. I think it was 1841 to 1918 is when he was alive. And he was the chief investigator of Scotland Yard. And he spent a lot of time studying this and researching and, and figuring out the days and figuring out the Jewish calendar and figuring out the prophecy of Daniel. He dedicated a lot of time and a lot of what we know about biblical prophecy today comes from his research. And he got information from the, the Royal Observatory to, you know, to count back the calendar days and find out when things happened that were prophesied back in, you know, like in the days of Daniel, and when things happened back in the time when Jesus would have died and been resurrected. And so I, and I actually, I went to NASA, actually has charts that they've made of the moon cycles that go back for a couple thousand years, yeah, I think 2,000 years, and go forward. They've calculated for the next like 2,000 years after today that NASA keeps charts that you can look up and i i went and checked out anderson's calculations and they're basically right on the money if you remember our study in daniel revealed one of the most amazing passages in scripture in daniel chapter 9 at verse 24 it says 70 weeks have been determined concerning your people and your holy city to put an end to rebellion 
to bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity, to bring in perpetual righteousness, to seal up the prophetic vision, and to anoint the, a most holy place. So no one understand from the issuing of, so no one understand from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, arrives. There will be a period of seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. All right, awesome. So we got it. So this is the the first tab here. This is our Friday crucifixion. And you can see from the timing, it, I've got the day labeled, you see the time on the left hand, we go from our normal American day from midnight to midnight. The Jewish day starts at sundown and goes the next day till sundown. So you'll see I've got like the daylight hours are in yellow there and the dark ones are the evening. And then I've got different days or colors. So Nisan 14, which is the preparation day, is green. And, it, and that's when he would have the Last Supper and then it would have been all his trials and then would have been crucified before the Passover, which is the blue day, before sundown, and buried before sundown because the next day was a Passover. And it was a double Passover because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a, is a high Passover or is, is a high Sabbath. No matter what day of the week Passover falls on, that's a Sabbath. But it also would be a Saturday. And so it's a double Sabbath. And then the next day the women would buy spices and... Jesus would be resurrected. But you'll see from Friday night until Sunday morning, there's only there's one full day and two half days. So you just don't have enough time for three days and three nights. So you're going to go to the next tab, Rick. See underneath, there's the... Yeah, so this would be the Wednesday crucifixion, which gives you more than enough time. The Nisan 14 is still the, the preparation day. That's the Jewish the Hebrew calendar day, and he's buried before sundown on Wednesday, and then the next day is Passover, and this would have been 30 A.D. I looked up in the calendar. This would actually be 30 A.D. for this year to fall on these days, and the Passover would have happened. That would have been your first Sabbath. The women would have gone spices because it actually says in Scripture that the women went after the, pas- after the Sabbath to buy spices, and they rested on the Sabbath. So it, almost look- it doesn't say that they- there were two Sabbaths on either end, but it, it kind of looks that way. So that, that this one actually falls for that to work out. The women buy spices on Friday in between the high Sabbath and then the Saturday Sabbath and then the resurrection is on Sunday. So you've got a, at least 36 hours for, for Jesus to be in the tomb. The problem is if you look over here, on Sunday when Jesus is resurrected is the 18th of Nisan. And so the problem with that is our Noah prophecy is the 17th of Nisan. was when the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And it's okay if, if those aren't linked, but I don't think it fits very... I think it makes more sense. If Rick, if you go to the next tab. I think this one makes more sense. If Jesus is crucified on nice on, 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 thirteen, on Thursday. I mean, He was crucified on Thursday before Passover. And then He's got basically three days. If you count Thursday as, your one, as the first day, Thursday night as the first night, Friday as the second day and second night, Saturday as the third day and third night, and then he resurrected the next, the next morning. And so, from the day I read about Daniel, he said 70 weeks have been determined, and that basically it says from the day that the command to rebuild Jerusalem goes out to the day that the Messiah arrives. There would be 69 sevens, because you got the seven sevens and 62 sevens, 
And these are perfect 360-day years that are always used in Bible prophecy. So it's not, you know, we're used to 365 and a quarter days per year. Um, so we're using prophetic Hebrew years. So 69 weeks, 69 sevens times 483 years is, or is, or 69 times 7 equals 483 years. And then 483 years times 360 days gives us 173,880 days between the command to rebuild Jerusalem and the day that the Messiah is supposed to arrive. And Nehemiah, this is uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, when this command happens. It starts out, it says, Then in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, he's the Persian king, they're still living... Cyrus had said they could go back, but there's still a lot of people living in Persia. So Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to me, I took the wine. This is Nehemiah speaking. He's the cupbearer of the king. And he says, I gave it to the king. And previously, previously I had not been depressed in the king's presence. So the king said to me, why do you appear to be depressed? Why aren't you, why, when you aren't sick, what can, be, uh, what can this be other than sadness of the heart? And this made me very fearful because he's supposed to be the official cupbearer and not let his feelings get in the way. He's just supposed to serve the king. But the king noticed he's kind of feeling down. He, there's something wrong with you. What's wrong? What's, you've got a broken heart, it looks like. And it says, Nehemiah, verse 3 says, I replied to the king, O king, live forever. Why would I not appear dejected when the city with the graves of my ancestors lies desolate and its gates destroyed by fire? And the king responded, What is it you are seeking? And then I quickly prayed for, to the God of heaven and said to the king, If the king is so inclined and if your servant has found any favor in your sight, dispatch me to Judah to the city of the graves of my ancestors so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with his consort sitting beside him, replied, How long would your trip take and when would you return? Since the king was amenable to dispatching me, I gave him a time and I said to the king, If the king is so inclined, let him give me letters for the governors of Trans-Euphrates that will enable me to travel safely until I reach Judah and a letter for Asaph, the keeper of the king's nature preserve, so that he will give me timber for beams for the gates of the fortress adjacent to the temple and for the city wall and for the house to which I go. So the king granted me these requests for the good hand of my God was on me. So Nehemiah was, was feeling down because it was the time of Passover. Nisan always means the Passover. They're, they're follow the months. They're, you know, we, it doesn't matter in our calendar. It doesn't matter where the, month, where the moon is. Our month follows what day it is. But their calendar followed the moon. So Nisan 1 would have started with the new moon. And so that's the month of Passover because it's the first moon after the the equinox, after the spring equinox. And so he's um, upset like a lot of the Jews were because Cyrus had issued orders that people could go back and they could build the temple, but the city city's still in a shambles. There's no walls. There's no gates. It's, it's fallen apart. The gates of the city were like the town hall. It wasn't just the door. They had chambers and rooms and people met there and the, the king and the leaders of the city would sit there and they would conduct trials and they would do business and they would you know, welcome people coming. I mean, a, so the, the city was missing. Its, its town center was the city gates. And it was missing the walls to defend it from attackers. There was nothing that had been rebuilt. And you know, it's just kind of in a shambles. And so he's feeling upset because it's Passover time. It's supposed to be a time when they... Remember that God rescued them from slavery and now they're, and they, and gave them the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're not living there. And the city's still in a shambles. So he's upset. He's depressed. And, and he explains the situation to the king and the king decides to give the command. 
And actually, the new moon was a typical time for the kings to give their decrees. And it just so happened to fall in the beginning of Nisan would be the new moon. And so it was the, the Passover month in the 20th year of his reign is what Nehemiah tells us, which history tells us the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign was 445 B.C. So on the new moon day of the month of Nisan in 445 B.C., if you count, we did our math, 173,880 days exactly to lead us to the new 10 days after 10 days into the new moon of Nisan in 32 AD. So you go from 445 BC, day 1 of Nisan, to 32 AD, day 10 of Nisan. And that just happens to be the day that the Jews were supposed to bring their potential Passover lamb to the priest to inspect it to make sure it was out without spot or blemish so they could use that for the Passover. A.K.A. the day of... Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, aka Palm Sunday, and it, and, and it, you know, 173,880 days falls exactly to the day from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem to the day that Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. I mean, that's prophecy. I don't know about you. God nailed the exact day of the Messiah's entry into Jerusalem over 500 years before Jesus was even born, and and. And it hit on the day of presentation. The day when Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, was presented by God at just the right time to be the sacrificial Lamb. And and I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty impressive. It it might make one think that God had it planned out ahead of time. And so, so far we've directly connected prophetic specifics about the Passion Week of you know of Jesus from we've got Noah in the book of Genesis that connects to it we've got Daniel who connects to it in this prophecy about the coming Messiah we've got Jonah who's connected because Jesus linked himself to Jonah in the wish and 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 there's a there are plenty more that we could look at the connections to Jesus the prophetic connections that lead him but um, we don't have time but I thought it'd be worth it this morning just to go through really quickly some of the, the this important time in the life of our Lord. A lot of the Gospel is committed to talking about this final t- week of Jesus' life. There's, there's a lot. You know, a, a bunch of real estate in the Gospels is, is dedicated to this final journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. Rick, there's a map up there on the thing. If you want to bring that up, the, the Jesus ministry. So Jesus is he's going from Galilee to Jericho. And you can see up... Oh, there's another one. A colored... Well, that might work. Galilee is up north. Samaria... Oh, there you go. That's it. Let me just close that. Yeah. Gal- <laughs> there we go. So you see Galilee's up north. The Sea of Galilee is that little body of water. That's where Jesus lived. Nazareth is just over to the left there. And He did most of His ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And that's where He collected His disciples. To get to Judea and Jerusalem, he had to go south. You have to go through Samaria, so you have to go through where those nasty Samaritans live, and that's where Jesus talked about, you know, the good Samaritan, because everybody had. If you wanted to go between the two places, you have to go to Samaria. Anyway, down here in Bethany, so they would leave from Galilee. They'd come down. Jericho is over just north of the the Dead Sea there, and that's where they first went. Um, and Mark ten, it says uh, Mark ten thirty two. It says they were on the way. 
going to Jerusalem. Jesus was going ahead of them, and they were amazed, but those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to them. So they're on their way down to Judah. He says, look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the experts in the law, and they will condemn him to death, and they will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him severely, and kill him. Yet after three days he will rise again. So they're on their way from Galilee down to, to Bethlehem, or down to Jerusalem, and Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen. He says the Son of Man is going to be arrested, he's going to be flogged, he's going to be killed, and three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And they just, they missed it. They didn't, they totally didn't get it, because then comes the request when James and John are saying, hey, when you are in your glory, can we sit on your right and left side? And he's like, ah, guys, you don't get what I'm talking about. You have no idea what's coming. And so they go down to Jericho, which is right above that salt sea you can see. And that's where Jesus, he heals the Bartimaeus, who was a blind guy, while he's in Jericho. And so then he leaves from Jericho and they go over to Bethany. Bethany is just a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. And he's going to spend the next several nights in Bethany, but he's going to spend the days in Jerusalem teaching. Because he said during this last week, the Bible says he spent, he went daily to the temple to preach, but he would go back every night to Bethany to to stay because that's where Lazarus was from. That's where his friend Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So he'd always go back to Bethany. So um, on the six days before the Passover, I'll call that day one um, of this final week, he's, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived and he raised Lazarus from the dead before and talks about Mary and Martha serving dinner in our, the Scripture that we read for the day. And Mary anoints Jesus' feet with the oil and Judas gets mad about the spending the money because he wanted to skim off the top. And Jesus said that to leave her alone because it was his time that he, she was anointing him for his death, and that's when the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus too. And that's our, our six days before the Passover. And so the next day it says, day two, which would have been Sunday, Palm Sunday, the beginning of the week, in verse twelve of John. John 12, 12 says the next day a large crowd had come to the feast, heard who the large crowd that had come to the feast that heard Jesus was going to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes and comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Rick, if you want to go back to that, that time schedule, I'll just kind of walk through so people can see what we're talking about. So here we go. Six days is Saturday. Six days before the Passover, Jesus visits Lazarus. He's anointed by Mary at dinner. The next day is the triumphal entry to Jerusalem, which would be Palm Sunday. And that we, from our NASA calendars, it's 32 A.D., the Jewish year 3792, which is also Nisan 10, which is the day of presentation when you're supposed to bring your lamb to the... You see, I've got N9, N10, N11 down at the bottom. So it's, it's happening all on the right day. And they're saying, Hosanna, blesses the one who comes. And, they, and the Scripture tells us about the prophecy. Don't, don't be afraid, people of Zion. Look, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And it says the disciples still didn't understand. In verse 16, it says his disciples still did not understand these things when they first happened. But when Jesus was glorified, when they, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that these things had happened to him. So once he was resurrected, they... All this stuff started to come into place, you know, especially when the Holy Spirit came upon him on them. They started to realize, oh my gosh, all this prophecy pointed we missed it. 
We thought Jesus was going to come as a military ruler and He came as the Messiah to take to actually take away the sins of the world. And all that prophecy pointed to what He was going to do and we totally missed it. And so Mark 11.11 says, Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple and after looking around at everything, He went out to Bethany with, with the twelve since it was already late. So they went on on Sunday, on Nisan 10, they went to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They went to the temple. He had a look around, maybe did a little bit of teaching, but it was late, so they went back to Bethany, which is just a couple miles away. So they went back to Bethany again. Day 3, the next day, which would be Nisan 11, which would be Monday, they go, it says, now the next day, as they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. And after noticing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to see if they could find any fruit on it. And I talk about the fig tree because it helps keep track of the days. It marks what's going on. And, and he went to see if he could find any fruit. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves and it was not because it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple area and this is the cleansing of the temple. He began to drive out those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. He turned over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And then he began to teach them and said, Is it not written, My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. So he went in and he totally upset the thing because they were fleecing people for their money. They had to exchange the currency for the temple currency and they would lose money in that exchange. And then they had to buy the temple animals because they were pure and they'd lose money in that exchange. So Jesus saw this going on and he said, Church is not supposed to be to make the church leaders rich. And you guys are just fleecing the people and doing it for money and power and shame on you. And he messed it all up and drove everybody out. And the chief, in verse 18, it says, the chief priests and the experts of the law heard it and they considered how they could assassinate him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So he cleansed the temple and and the the leaders said, we got to kill this guy because he's, He's messing up our system. And then the, that evening, so that would have been nice on 11, he went back to Bethany again to spend the night. The next day, which would have been nice on 12, um, there's another story about the fig tree. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree that had withered from the roots, the one he had cursed. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And Jesus said to him, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If someone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes in what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And so that day that the, that the fig tree is, is withered, there's a whole bunch of teaching that goes on in the temple that we, that's recorded in Scripture. And there's uh, people, the Jewish leaders have now got people challenging Jesus about his authority and who he is. And... And he spends a lot of... I'm not going to go through it all because there's tons of it, but there's lots of interaction. There's lots of teaching. There's lots of challenges to Jesus. And this is also the day of the widow's mites. Remember the widow who gives her offering because Jesus sees all these people putting in lots of money out of their excess and then he sees the widow give her two coins and that's all she has. That's the same day that that happens. And on the way out, they, they then are leaving the city again to go back to Bethany for the night. On the way out, the disciples are saying, look at this city, isn't it amazing? And Jesus says that, that this is all going to be destroyed. That, there's, that the temple is going to be wiped out and there's not going to be one stone on top of another. And in 40 years after that, after Jesus says that, that's when A.D. 70 is when the Romans wreak havoc in the city of Jerusalem. They tear down the temple 
And the reason they take every stone apart is because there's so much gold on the temple when they burned it, the gold melted and went in between the cracks of the stones. So they took off every stone to scrape away the gold. So there really literally was not one stone on top of another. The temple was completely demolished by the Romans in AD 70, just like Jesus said. And so they stop on their way to Bethany that night. Um, Jesus stops in the Garden of Gethsemane and he does some more teaching. There's a lot of teaching in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus talks to the disciples about the signs of the end times and he references Daniel. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation. So there's a lot of good teaching that goes on there and then they go back to Bethany and Mark 14 says, once they get back to Bethany, um, this is two days before the Passover feast and you see the Passover is is um, in yellow there. That's the first, And then the Passover feast would have been Thursday night. So two days before that, Jesus is back in Bethany on that Tuesday night. And it says um, in Mark 14, two days before the Passover feast of unleavened bread, the chief priests and the experts in the law were trying to find a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, so there won't be a riot among the people. And while Jesus was at, in Bethany, this time he's at the house of Simon the leper, it says, reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil from pure nard. And it's, it's extremely similar to the, the other anointing. Um, it says, after breaking the jar, she poured it on his head instead of his feet. This is, so this tells me, that some people think this is the same event and we're just overlapping stories and they got it on both. But I think because one was on his feet and was on his head, these were actually different days. Um, it says, the woman poured it on his head and some who were present indignantly said to one another, why waste this expensive ointment? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor and they spoke angrily at her and Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good service for me. For you will always have the poor and you can do good for them whenever you want, but do you will not always have me. She did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be in memory of her. So, they could be the same story overlapping. I separated them because it seems like they're different accounts. Either way, it happened at least once. And at verse 10 it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus into their hands. And when they heard this, they were delighted and promised to give him money. So Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray him. So that's that Tuesday night, a nice on twelve, the evening when Judas goes and he talks to the religious leaders about betraying Jesus. The next day is the first day of... Um, it's the preparation day. For, well, the pink day is the preparation day. But Wednesday, it says, now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, so they've got to get the Passover lamb ready for the meal, which happens at sundown on Nisan 13, which is the official Passover slash preparation day. And so it says... The disciples said to him, where do you want us to prepare you to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city, you'll find a man carrying a jar of water, which is unusual because the women always carried the water. So that was an easy thing for them to spot. And he said that he'll have a, a donk, he'll have um, carrying water and he'll have a house. And you say the master needs a place to do Passover and make preparations there. So they go and they prepare and found things just like Jesus had said. And when it was evening, he came to the house with the twelve. So they prepared on on Nisan 13, got the room ready, got the Passover lamb ready, and then at sundown is when the Last Supper came. So actually, that's technically the beginning of Nisan 14 at sundown on the Jewish calendar. So at sundown, they had the Last Supper, they did communion, um, 
Judas is Jesus points out Judas is the betrayer, so he goes out and he actually does the makes the plans with the Jewish leaders. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. They go back to the garden after dinner's all over. They go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. They leave Jerusalem. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is basically it's just there's a little valley. You can see Jerusalem and the Garden of Gethsemane from one another across the valley. So they just walked across the valley to the garden. And they, Jesus prayed, and he prayed for hours, and the disciples, late at night, so the disciples fell asleep. He goes, you know, it's probably into the next day. Jesus is still praying. Um, the people come to arrest him. They come with the torches, and they, a big, huge crowd of people to arrest him. He's arrested. They drag him to, the, to Annas, who's one of the leaders of the Jewish um, people. Um, he sees Annas. Then he goes to Caiaphas, who's the leader of the Sanhedrin. And Peter does his three denials in this time while he's meeting the people. He denies Jesus just like he had prophesied. After he sees Annas personally and Caiaphas personally, the whole Sanhedrin gets together. So it's basically his third trial before the Sanhedrin. And Judas realizes this was a bad move. He tries to return the money, but they won't take it back from him. Um, After going before the Sanhedrin, Jesus is drug over to the Roman praetorium to stand before Pilate and then Pilate doesn't want to deal with him because it's a Jewish thing so he sends him to King Herod across town so Jesus is marching around all night long remember he's praying all night and then he's arrested and he's drugged across the city back and forth back and forth to places so he goes to King Herod and King Herod says he doesn't want to deal with him eventually so he goes back to Pilate and Pilate says I'll flog him and he gets this severe flogging and then while Jesus is all torn up and, and lacerated and bloody and disheveled, he says, behold your king. And at that point, there's darkness over the land. So about noon until 3 o'clock, and you see I've got it dark there, Jesus is, is, he is given his cross to carry to, the, to Golgotha, and he's crucified. The sign is posted above his cross, and he about 3 o'clock, he dies. And he gives his last words, he's, he's dead, the body is requested, they, um, they, they go to Pilate, and Pilate's surprised that Jesus is dead already, because usually people can last you know, a couple of days in the crucifixion, but the soldiers had gone ahead and they broke the legs of the other two criminals, and they came to Jesus and they saw he was dead already, they were surprised, and so, um, because they didn't want the bodies hanging up before the, when the Passover came, they had to, for the celebration of the the Passover, they wanted to make sure all the dead bodies were down because that would be a curse on the land. So they found Jesus was dead and the body was requested and and there was a preparation and the burial all happened before sundown on the Passover because it would have been inappropriate to do any work on the Passover. So they took care of all that and Jesus was buried. And the next day, the Passover, this yellow day, is the first day of a week-long celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So technically, the Passover meal happens on Nisan 14. The Passover happens on Nisan 15. That's the, or I'm sorry, Passover is Nisan 14. The Feast of Unleavened Bread starts off on Nisan 15 and goes for a week. And so that would have been a, a high Sabbath, the Nisan 15. And then the Green Day, Nisan 16, would have been the Saturday Sabbath. So you've got two days worth of, of not being able to work. After that, the women go by the spices to go and anoint Jesus' tomb. They leave before sunup on Sunday morning and they come to the tomb and they find that Jesus is gone. 
And the real reason that the, the Jews don't celebrate Christmas, it's you know, because the Jews would be a lot harder to convince the kids to go to bed before Santa comes because it would happen at, at supper time, would be the next day. And, and so the and and it was kind of surprising for the women obviously to find that the tomb was empty. They went, they were wondering who's gonna roll the stone away. They go there, the stone's already away and there's no body in there. And so the and it's interesting that on the Sabbath, whenever he's supposed to be rested on Friday, on the Passover, the, the Jewish leaders still go to Pilate and they request that a guard be placed. They say, we want you to go and seal the tomb and place a guard. And so he says, okay. But you get to Sunday and the, there's no body. And the, I don't know, Rick, can you scroll over just a little bit to the, to the blue? Yeah, there we go. So there's the resurrection. The women go to the tomb. They find there's no, there's no body. The guards go and tell the Jewish leaders their story because they lost the, you know, they lost the person they were, they lost the dead body that they were supposed to be guarding and that would mean death for them. Their, their task was, you know, they're, they're put in charge of this and the body's gone. And they say, we'll be executed if they find this out. So the Jewish leaders pay them off. They say, you just tell, you know, if anybody asks you, you tell them this story. And if anything happens, you know, if, if the leadership finds out, we'll protect you. So they paid off the guards to keep their mouths shut and, and at Sunday, you know, but the all of this amazing detail. I mean, we're, there's there's more I could say, but we're out of time. But all this amazing detail. I'll talk some more next week. I'll tell you what happened on Sunday, and, and so you'll come back and find out what what happened, why and why there was no body in the tomb. I, I don't know if you know that, but all this amazing detail is tells us about Jesus. It's not just about Jesus the man. It reveals the truth of God. I mean, we're talking the authority of Scripture. If you, if, you, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the Bible, then, then all this stuff is just... An, I mean, if you don't, you think it's just a make-believe story and that all these things are just these amazing coincidences that happened across you know, spans of hundreds and thousands of years that all link together and tie in perfectly. You, you're crazy if you think that this just you know, was a made-up story, that this person just disappeared. But, but Jesus put on flesh... He came from heaven. He put on flesh and, and, and was a sacrifice for our sins. And this thought ought to drive us all to our knees. It, you know, we ought to be in repentance and praise of God for what He's done for us. And, and not only do we have the authority of Scripture to tell us, you know, to show us all this amazing detail and prophetic occurrence and, and these things, but what God has done for us and why God has done this for us. That He loved us and He didn't want to see us condemned and He wanted to make a way for us to find salvation through His judgment. And, and just like Noah found salvation through the judgment of the flood, God is, Jesus is coming back again. The prophecy says there's another week to come and it's going to be a week of judgment. The world is going to be cleansed by fire and, and that the only way for us to survive is to put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And this tells us that God has... has that Jesus Christ gave His life for us so that we could be saved, so that we could repent and believe and trust in Him and find salvation. And, and, and it's amazing what God has done for us, but it's also amazing that it's backed up by so much evidence, that there's so much material here, the, you know, the calendar days and the, and the amazing miracles and the prophecy, that there's so much that we can look and see. You know, is there that Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem again? And... And we need to be ready. And this time He's going to sit in judgment of the world and, and God's judgment is going to come in fire. And, and the only way to survive is through God's grace. The only way to be ready is through God's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and 
to believe in Him and His way of salvation, to walk through that one and only door, just like Noah went through the door of the ark, for us to walk through the door of Jesus and to be made one of His children and to live for God and to live with God in us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so the question for us is, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to react to what God has done, to what God has presented to the... I mean, it's a lot of information. But, but how are you going to respond to what Jesus has done? Are you going to obey Him? Are you going to share the Gospel? Are you going to live your life the way you're called to live? Are you going to love your neighbors? Are you going to worship God with true gratefulness? Are you going to really worship God and honor Him? Are you, are you going to stand up for righteousness? It, it's up to us what we do with all these details. Because we can totally ignore them and bypass them and say it doesn't really matter. Or we can see the amazingness of how much intricacy God has given us to, be, to believe what we believe. And we can take that and say, because of all this proof, because of all this reason, because of all this, my faith is secure, my belief is solid, therefore I'm going to go out and do what Jesus called me to do. To live my life for Him, to give my life for Him, to give my... To, to, to give my energy and time and whatever it takes to make sure other people are saved and other people are brought into Jesus' salvation. Are you going to do that? It's up to you. I'll leave it. Come back next week. I'll tell you what happened on Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for what you've done for us. We're so grateful for all the... And there's, there's so much detail. We could spend weeks and months investigating all this and, and still not even know the half of it of what you've done and the details and the intricacy and the interconnectedness of prophecy and, and, the, and the happenings in the world and, and the way everything ties in to your word. But we know we're so thankful that we can trust in your word, that it is authoritative, that everything that you wrote, you wrote for a reason, that it is to teach us and help us to live our lives the way you call us to live. God, help us to do that. Help us to be your people, to represent you in the world, to, 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 to be your ambassadors and to bring other people to you. God, save us, help us, and help us to save other people. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.